following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. I'm uh, humbled to be up here with all of you, uh, speaking to you today. Um, you're definitely getting the, uh, the C team uh, here today, so uh, don't be surprised. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? The, uh, the Word of God is, is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will do the job just fine, So, um, despite the messenger. Um, however, I'm really thrilled to be able to speak with you today. Um, some things that um, I think you find yourself doing as you've been with the body for a while is you just start looking around and just being... Um, after being in here, being comfortable, you know what's you know you know you start knowing more more and more people. Um, I find myself often slipping to the back and just looking at everyone, or when I'm singing, looking at everyone and just being just so excited about what what God is doing in the hearts and lives of people. And um, I'm very thrilled uh, just to see Him work, and see Him work in a very clear and effective way, changing hearts and lives uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so. Um, Today, I will be enjoying that as well as I look around and see your faces, uh, just to see what God is doing in you. Um, Bob read um, in John 14, and that's where we're going to be spending most of our time, uh, probably all of our time this morning. Um, I promised, uh, I guess I didn't promise my wife, but I told her that I would uh, keep things short and sweet, like me, uh, this morning. So... uh, so I'll see what I can do. Um, some people are given, you know, the gift of, of uh, preaching and teaching in such a way that they can captivate your attention. I'm not one of those people, so um, I know that. And so the first thing is you got to recognize that so that um, you can keep your stuff really, really short. Um, but we're going to be in, in John 14 uh, this morning. Uh, the book of John has been uh, very interesting. Uh, intimate to me, I guess you could say, over these past few months and even year. Um, I've ventured very few times out of the book of John um, up until recently. Uh, Jim and I have been going through Romans with Sean in our community group. Um, but outside of that, um, you know, I've pretty much hunkered down in John, not saying that I, that I have mastered it in any regard, but it's, it has been the theme of my heart um, over these past few months and um, is really just kind of opened my eyes yet again to the truth of the gospel. And um, John, you know, the beginning of John just kind of blows you away with John's description of, of the word. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. Um, he is life. Uh, and that life was the light of men. Those type of comments that he is making and affirming um, are kind of what we understand to be as these disciples and who they are, um, what they believe. Um, but as we're learning, as we're going through Mark in our normal study, is that they weren't there at all <laughs> until after Christ died, rose, and uh, empowered them to believe. Um, up until this point, you have a group of people who just plain don't get it. And I think just as we saw in Mark, um, we're going to see here in John as well, John retelling the story from his perspective on who Jesus was, what he taught, and how people just plain didn't get it. Um, Even his disciples who had been with him and had been in his teaching, sitting at his feet for three years of uh, public ministry, still didn't even get it. Um, And so we'll see how that all comes into play to where you know, their belief is constantly challenged. Do I believe who Jesus says he is? Do I even know who he's, what he's talking about? And then um, the challenge of Jesus back to them 
um, regardless of their unbelief, what is true about himself and how that makes all the difference. When I was in high school, my, grandma, my grandmother died of congestive heart failure. Um, the night she died, uh, you know, I remember very clearly, uh, I was in high school, so my, you know, my memory was, was sharp, I think, at that point. Um, but she, when she, right before she passed away, she brought each, each of the grandkids got to come in and kind of say their goodbyes. And it was a very, um, you know, emotional time for us, you know, going in. because She's a tremendous grandmother, really loved us, prayed for us, desired for us to come to know the truth of the gospel. And, um, you know, those fleeting moments of her life were, are very precious to me, but they're also, you know, uh, I remember them very well. And I think what we're going to see here in John is, John is giving us very vivid details in this passage. We start um, right uh, in towards the end here, we say, we have Jesus. Uh, you see, in Mark, the same kind of timing as as um, when we when we've been studying Mark together. The timing is Jesus is now heading towards Jerusalem. We see that same thing in uh, in John twelve. We start or John twelve. You start to see um, that transition um, as he's coming closer and closer to to his death. Um, and the events are crystal clear in the mind of the apostle as he's writing these things, um, giving very specific details, who said what, when, and all of these things, that you just, you see him develop that and kind of tell the story of where they were at. Um, so what we, uh, I would, I'd like us just to kind of take a look at the context before we get over to John 14, and just see what's going on, um, and how, how is John painting the picture for us? Uh, let's turn over to um, John chapter 12. As they approach uh, these final hours of Jesus' life, they seem to have uh, come to know that Jesus is the Christ, but they're still struggling understanding the mission of the Messiah. And so we see that uh, throughout here. John 12 begins with a time frame of six days before the Passover. It says in John 12, 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus was, uh, bef- Jesus uh, therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with a fragrance of perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, uh, said, Why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, having charge of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus begins starting to make these very clear, I would say more than allusions. He's making clear statements that he is headed to the cross. He is headed to his death, and it is coming don't hinder people from preparing me for this time. This is where we're going. And so we see him do that in uh, chapter 12, verse 3, with Mary anointing him. We also see in uh, verse 23, 1223, says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life uh, loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
So we see him making these clear statements as they're kind of working their way to this, uh, you know, John 14, where we're at the Last Supper. He's kind of working his way there. These disciples are hearing over and over that Jesus is talking about um, death. He's talking about coming up to um, his death. Um, and we know that Philip is here even for this uh conversation. All the disciples would have been there. But Philip brings these Greeks to see Jesus, and he announces that his hour has come, and he, and he talks about his impending death. So it's clear that, that he's not, um, there's no, he's not beating around the bush at this point. He's not alluding to a future death. He is talking like, I'm going to die, and it's coming soon. And you see that building in 27, um, you see 1227, Jesus says that his soul is troubled, Pay attention to that word there. But he announces his purpose. Verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Verse 34, we have the crowd challenging him by this logic. Christ, they know, no, 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 Christ remains forever. You say you will die, therefore, who is the Son of Man? As in, how can you be the Christ if, if the Christ remains forever? You're going to die how can you be the Christ? And that mindset, I think that even though it's said by the crowd, I think that as we've learned and studied through Mark with Stacy and Chris, that there's still that, um, there's that logic that's going through their mind too. Christ remains forever, or Christ is going to conquer. He's going to be the conquering king, okay? Or he's going to be going to overthrow Rome, or he's going to help us in all these very physical, tangible, immediate kind of ways. So how could this be the Christ if he's not going to do what we think he's going to do? He's not. Jesus is not who we think he is. So the crowd is in that way, and because of their unbelief, you see later that he hides himself um, from them. He can't take their unbelief any longer and withdraws. Uh, verse 45, though, it says, whoever, he, he reminds them that whoever sees me sees the one who sent me. And you'll see that theme as we, as we come down into chapter 14 as well. Now we get to John 13. John 13, the Passover has begun. Uh, their last supper together has started. Jesus rises from the suffer, supper and washes their feet, stating, you are clean, but not every one of you. Okay, speaking specifically of Judas, and that, um, that is developed on. So John 13, in this section, you really have, um, you have uh, Jesus being troubled in spirit. We saw him in, in 27 of chapter 12, that he was, his soul was troubled, thinking about his impending death. We see that down here in 1321, that Jesus is now troubled in spirit, thinking on Judas's betrayal, which will ultimately lead to his impending death. Then in verse 27, we see that Jesus, uh, that Judas um, leaves to betray him, okay? So in John 13, you really have kind of the cleansing of the disciple, the band of disciples here. We both have their, um, this uh, Jesus cleansing them, washing their feet, and then we also have kind of a cleansing of uh, the disciple group as a whole. That group now, the, the one who has been with them all along, um, is now removed from them, and it's just them. It's just the faithful followers, the ones who truly believe, okay? <laughs> the ones who, who, who really get it, right? Those are the only ones left. And at that point, Jesus um, continues in John, uh, in John 13, and he talks about how God will glorify him at once. He talks about in John 30, 13, 33, yet a little while, and I am with you. Then, it, then next, in the next part of the verse, where I am going, you cannot come. That is 
he keeps saying, not only am I going to die, but I'm going to die soon. This is coming quickly. This is coming imminently. Be ready for this. This is coming. And then he gives, right, at, right towards the end of John 13, 34 and 35, he gives that identifying mark of the believer that they would love one another. Okay, so he's saying those kind of final words, final talk. It's actually starting that. You see that kind of go through 15 and, you know, uh, and, and following there as he's um, making his way to the cross. But he is giving them um, kind of those final things. But yet while he's doing that, definitely, my death is coming. It's impending. You know, be ready for this. So what we find ourselves is when we kind of gear up for this passage that we're in right now is the disciples have already heard that he's going to die. Um, they should know that by now. He's talked about it for the, the whole length of his ministry. He's talked about it, uh, you know, very clearly, even in this last, since the Lord's Supper. So, I mean, even in the same meal, he has already made clear, hey, my death is coming and it's coming quickly. Um, it's not like they should have remembered it from, you know, a Discipleship 101, you know, in the first, in you know, Cana of Galilee, he turns the water to wine, he says, I'm going to die. They don't have to remember all that way back. They just have to remember a few minutes ago, okay? And so that's what, that's the kind of the context that we're coming to. And I think that also will kind of shade the way that we see these questions coming from them. I think that we need to think of them more as more of a purposeful disbelief or uh, I can't believe that we're here versus actually, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so let's, let's uh, see how that plays out. So it is in this context that we find the disciples concerned. Okay, their Messiah is talking about leaving them quickly. They don't understand yet who, the, who, uh, who he really is. I think there's still some confusion over, uh, I know he's the Messiah, but what does this Messiah actually do and who really, who is he? And so in these final hours, he will teach them yet again who he is and what it means for them. So, that's where we find ourselves. This passage is really set up with three almost identical situations. Um, if you look at uh, verse 36 of chapter 13, um, Simon Peter's going to ask him a question. So, um, we weren't going to go into detail on most of these, but we will read through them. Verse 36, Simon, Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterward. Peter says to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not uh, crow until you have denied me three times. So you have, uh, there's, uh, follow this, uh, this pattern here. Jesus makes a statement about himself. Okay, Jesus says, where I am going you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Okay? Then Peter responds. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Then Jesus tells him of his impending failure. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow, and you've denied me three times. So there is, and then really, um, you'll also see the first part of 14 where, um, where Peter is also kind of retrained as to this is where I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Um, that, that where I go, there you may be also. So he continues to teach in that way. The next one that we see is down, um, is in Thomas's statement here. Uh, Jesus says, and you know uh, where I am going. But Thomas says, and this is verse 5 of chapter 14, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus says to him, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we have that once again. Uh, Jesus makes a statement, you know the way. Thomas says, I don't know the way. How can I, how, you know, how am I supposed to know what to do? Jesus replies with some teaching on the fact that he is the way. The third one that we see here is uh, down with Philip. We see Jesus in, um, in verse 7 says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Then Philip replies, okay, with his statement, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Then Jesus trains and teaches on that. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So here we have, just right quickly in a row, there's actually another one down further, but these three are definitely very similar, and they're all within proximity, so we're going to focus on those today. Um, you see that their souls are in turmoil right now, okay? For the reasons listed before, their Savior is is uh, they're confused about, we've been following this guy, he says he's the Christ, and yet now he's going to die, and their minds are blown, they don't understand, you know, wh- how that can be, and yet, um, and yet Jesus continues to teach them very graciously. Even in Philip's, where I think when Philip says that, you see kind of Jesus is coming because he has just told him that I and the Father are one, and then he says, show us the Father. He's like, I'm showing you the Father. It's me. You know? And so we see that in, in Philip's response there. That one, I really had almost wanted to shift down to that one because it's such a huge message for us. Um, just that we be satisfied with who Jesus is, uh, who he says he is, and not who we think he should be. Okay? Keep that in mind. That will also come into play as well. Um, but... Uh, so we, f- we see first that Peter, then Thomas, then Philip, all kind of fall into the same, um, I don't know, routine of, of teaching. You know, there is, um, they already know the truth. He, they know that he's going to die. And yet they're still not really coming to grips with it. I think, you think, Peter, where are you going? Um, he's going to die. He's already said it. And I think it's more of, more of the fact that he doesn't want to believe what Jesus has already told him. He doesn't want to come to grips with the fact that his Savior, the Messiah, who he thinks should be conquering king, is going to be the suffering servant. Then, you know, I think Thomas um, as well, and we'll get, we'll get more into Thomas as we, we're going to go through that one a little bit slower here, but, uh, so we'll skip that one, go down to Philip. But Philip really, Philip is really asking for the moon here. I don't know if you, <laughs> I mean, he's really, he's really putting it out there, and I think, you know, because uh, who got to see who gets to see the Father, right? I'll take, I'll take an answer. Anybody, anybody? Who gets to see the Father? Nobody gets to see the Father, right? Moses got to see the shadow, the back um, of the Father, and Philip is asking for, he's like, hey, you know what? Just show us the Father. It'll be enough for us. I mean, it's that little thing, and, and we'll be fine, you know? I mean, that's really, he's, but it's really like, hey, just, you know, you know let me, uh, I just, I just want to, you know, talk to the creator of the universe. But what he doesn't realize is that he is. He is. Jesus is uh, the full expression of the Godhead bodily. He is the, the ultimate manifestation of who God is in human form. And so that's what he does not realize yet, is that Jesus is all 
that he needs. And I think that right smack dab in the center of all this confusion and doubt is this passage that we'll focus on today, verses, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Um, I think that um, it is interesting, and I think it's more than interesting, it's John's purpose for putting it in here, but uh, notice when John 14, 1, when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. That's coming from someone who is the most troubled at this point. We see it mentioned uh, two, two, three different times here as, as he is, um, he's troubled in soul, he's troubled in spirit, and yet now he is telling them, let not your hearts be troubled. And that really should grip us as believers in the fact that Jesus Christ taking all the trouble upon himself. He is troubled because he is going to bear the full weight of sin, the full weight of sin of mankind on his shoulders. He's going to take it to the cross, be rejected by his Father in that he is pulling all that sin onto himself and sacrificing himself to pay for it. That is the trouble that is, that is wearing him at this point. That is the grief that we see later in the garden as he's shedding, uh, he's sweating so hard that blood is coming out. That trouble and turmoil that he is facing as he's going to the cross is the reason that we don't have to be troubled. And you think about um, even his response to Peter before that, where he says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay, my, lay down my life for you. It was not Peter's to bear. At that moment, Peter very well would share in the sufferings of Christ, you know, decades later. But at this point, this is Christ's burden to bear. He does not need any help. He doesn't need anyone to assist him by their good works. He does not need to have anyone to um, aid in his endeavor. It is his and his alone to bear, and he is going to bear it. Even in his prayer previously, when we saw his soul was troubled, um, what does he say in verse um, verse twelve? Now my soul, or chapter twelve, twenty seven. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And the voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Uh, it is his to bear, and he is willingly going to bear all of the weight of sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world, upon his shoulders so that uh, the Father might be glorified. And, <laughs> and as a benefit, we all receive uh, salvation. Unbelievable. Okay, so that's why out of that context, he is saying, let not your hearts be troubled. What does he give us as what is he giving them, and I say by detachment, us, what is he giving them as a way in which this can be accomplished? It's faith. He says, believe in me or trust, or trust in God, trust also in me. I use the word trust because believe, I think, I don't know about you, but for me, believe is kind of a nebulous word. I have a hard time understanding, but trust, I can, you know, make more sense of it. So, um, and it means the same thing, but um, it says, trust in God, trust also in me. Once again, linking that understanding that he and the Father are one as he continues to say. 
Place your trust in me. Don't be troubled in heart. Place your trust in me. I, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. This uh, next section, I think, is really, it answers the question of Peter's, where are you going? Okay? And it also kind of um, is a segue into um, the fact that you know the way to where I am going, where he's going to address Thomas's concerns later on. This um, section in here, I think we really need to think of it as not so much, um, you don't need to think of it as the splendor of heaven. I think it's more important to think of the fact that there is room for those who trust in Christ. So as in, um, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Think of the way that wording is, the bri- it's, think of the bridegroom. He claims his bride. He, 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 uh, he identifies his bride, let's put it that way. And then he says, I will, I'm going to go and prepare a home for us. And think Middle Eastern culture, think of like, um, he's going to go back home, he's going to take the, you know, maybe his brother and family are living here, dad and mom are here, he's going to, I mean, even if you see some of the Middle Eastern homes, they have like rebar sticking up out of the top of the roof, why is that? Because somebody's going to build on top of that, like they plan for it, you know, and think of that as well as he's going to go back home, he's going to build on, annex his parents' house, okay, and then He's going to get it all prepared, really serving his new wife, all right? Then he's going to go back and take her to himself, that where he is, there she may be also. Uh, Very much a kind of, it definitely has that feel of bride and bridegroom. You'll see John really hit hard as we're coming, you know, to the the bride and the bridegroom in Revelation. You see that that, um, marriage supper of the Lamb, Um, all of those ideas you know, I think you can, you can throw them in here really without any problem. I think that's what he is trying to describe in the language that he is using here. And so think of that. You are to believe in me that I will take care of your every need. Um, the concerns that you have about um, the Messiah, the concerns that you have about your eternal state, um, the idea of heaven and eternity and all of that, in this time period, and I think how much God chose to reveal was very limited. And I think you see what you'll see is these authors who really get it, and and God gives them that revelation. They develop those those ideas to where we get a better picture than ever before of what this what a believer has to look forward to in the future. And but here, their concerns, they're worried about their connection with the Father. They're worried about um, their relationship with God. What happens if Jesus isn't who he says he is? All of these things, but yet, coming back to verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Trust me. And then here's why I'm going to do these things. Giving them an insight into the future, insight to what he's going to be doing when he is away from them. And that's where he says in verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. And I really think the way that this 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 is worded here. Uh, Jesus knows Thomas. He knows that Thomas is going to ask this question. He is very um, poignantly presenting an opportunity to teach, as all good teachers do. Um, notice I haven't done it this, you know, this time, but uh, as all good teachers do, they are going to both lead 
to where a student will ask a question, and then they're going to use that question to teach um, the entire class. And I think you see that in all these cases, but especially as, as Thomas is here, uh, you know the way to where I am going. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. Now, it's kind of wild because what did he just say? Where, are they, where is he going? He's going to prepare a place for them. All right? So, he's, so I, don't, I don't think that necessary, maybe not necessarily that he didn't either. Uh, so there's three options, right? One is he's a really bad listener. Okay, there's one that's a really bad listener. Uh, option two <laughs> is that he, uh, he just, he doesn't believe, period, which I don't think is a good option. Okay, option three is that he is, uh, he is just at a point of just can't come to grips with what he is hearing that his Savior is now going to be gone. Okay, and so it's almost like, did you really say that? Did you really mean that? Uh, did you really mean that you're actually going away, and if you are, he's still looking. You think Thomas in the scripture, he's always, he is looking for objective intellectual satisfaction, okay? Think of him towards the end of the book where Jesus rises from the dead. What does he ask? He wasn't there when Jesus came the first time, so what does he ask? Uh, I won't believe until I stick my fingers in the palms of his hands, in the nail holes, and stick my hand in his side where the spear pierced him. He wants to see it with his eyes. He wants to experience it before he's going to believe. That's him. He is now, in the next verse, going to be challenged that I am the way, and you need to believe that. I am all that you need. Um, it's an interesting discussion that... Um, Alex Williams isn't here today. He actually texted me and said, he, sorry for not coming, but <laughs> it's funny. Uh, but he, uh, he, he, uh, he and I had this conversation a while back, and um, it was really about God, what God was doing in his life. And it was uh, incredible just to see how God works in people, and he changes their desire. Not that the Word of God doesn't make sense, not that it's not logically consistent, but the... He, the fact is we need to be willing to bow our knee in faith to what God is doing, regardless of, of our desire to make sense of it all. And you know, I think Thomas is coming to that point here where he just can't make sense of it all. He doesn't, I want a roadmap. I want a list of steps that can get me to where you're going. And Jesus will not give him that because it doesn't exist. You know, that list of do's and don'ts is not Christianity. Christianity is a person, and that's who he's going to say right here, as we see in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want a road map? It's just a picture of my face. <laughs> you, want a, you want a way to get to the Father? You want to see the Father, Philip? I am the way. And you see those other ones. I think just as, as he has said before in verse, uh, verse 4, you know the way. I think the, the first phrase there, I am the way, definitely has the power in this phrase. The other, true, the other two, the truth and the life, they really just bolster that. They say, well, how can you be the way? Because you are the truth. You are the full expression of the Godhead bodily. You are Jesus, co-equal with the Father. You are the truth. You are the word. 
of, of, uh, that John expounds on and, and as he reflects on these truths that he knows about Jesus and he writes the book of John, John 1, um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The very truth of God. Um, later on, full, you know, the, the word that's full of grace and truth. Okay, so he is uh, that full expression of truth. And because he's the full expression of truth, and because he is the life, what was uh, John, four, uh, John 1, 4? You can turn back there real quick. Let me read some of these. They're so powerful. Um, John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He not just has life, he is life. The word was life. That very creative power of life in Jesus himself at the point of creation, and then coming as a man in the flesh. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. He is the truth, he is the life, and because he is those, he is the way. And that's why in the second section, the second half of verse 6, it says, no one comes to the Father except through me. You and I live in a society where pluralism runs rampant. We live in a society where it is taboo to uh, view that your understanding of spirituality is the only way. Um, Jesus seems somewhat less concerned, okay, with this. The Word of God seems much less concerned with trying to make everyone happy, trying to, um, you know, make everything rosy for people lost without God, people dying and spending eternity in hell. All right, the word of God comes crystal clear, and Jesus himself comes crystal clear when he says, I am the way because I am the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father that's what these guys wanted. That is what they were looking for. They were looking for the way to God, the way to the Father. And really, where every human being on the face of the earth has been given that image-bearing, innate need to be satisfied by God himself, They'll fill it with other things, pacify themselves with other things, but none of that will satisfy. Only Jesus will satisfy because he is the way, the truth, and the life. The deepest need of the heart of man is met by Christ alone, for he is the way and the truth and the life. Going back to my conversation uh, with Alex the other day, he asked me a question. He said, what is the, if you were to boil down the gospel to one word or one phrase, what would it be? And I had to think about it, but um, God has really pushed one uh, theme of my heart, um, and that's that I would just trust him. You know, it's something that we've tried to, and so I said, trust. That was my one, one thing, one theme, trust. Because wh why, why would I say that? It's because coming to salvation as an unbeliever, there's only one thing that needs to happen. Relinquishing your self-sustaining desire to be the man, <laughs> you know, relinquishing that, uh, that mindset that I can do this on my own, 
bowing the knee, trusting in the Father, trusting in Jesus, um, and allowing him to do his work. Um, not in pride, thinking I can do it on my own. So coming to salvation, it's that. Once a believer, it's a daily trusting that God's way is best. Why do we not get angry? I tell this to the kids. Why should I tell it to Joya? Why do you not get angry? Because God is in control and trust in him. Cole, why do you not, uh, why do you not need to worry about this? Because God is in control. Judah, <laughs> you know, why, why do you not be so crazy? <laughs> uh, you, know, what, you, know, who, you know, you think you're strong, but you need to trust in the one who made the world. And he is the, the God, the creator of the universe. He is the ultimate. You need to trust in him. And so all of life, and either on different sides of the cross, as far as your spiritual walk is concerned, is really wrapped up in one thing, and that is trust. Do you trust him that his way is best? When everything comes falling apart, are you going to trust him? Or are you going to either try to fix it on your own or, or run away from it and reject him? Those are really the options. There's, not, there, there's, there's no other option. Is, are you going to trust him? And every day that you come up against a challenge, a, a difficulty, um, are, apply the gospel to your life and trust that what he has, his way, is best. And um, that's what we see as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We live, we live in a world of troubled people. Uh, the remedy, as we see in verse 1, is simple. Trust Jesus. I'll leave you with that one thought. Hopefully it will, uh, if you write down anything, so, or if you're sleeping, wake up. This is the one thing to leave with. The deepest need of the heart of man is met by Christ alone. Why is that? Because he's the way, he's the truth, and he is the life. If you're sitting here today, you don't know the way, you do not know Jesus, uh, you will miss your entire life um, from the true purpose of your life. God created you to know him. He created you to trust him. And he created the world so that you might look around and see how great he is and turn in faith and believe in him. He gave us the word so that we might hear of his truth, turn from our wicked ways, and follow him. And if you are a believer today, looking back at the cross, thinking, God has saved me, now what? Remember that Jesus is not who necessarily we think he is. <laughs> Jesus is who he says he is. And we need to be able to believe that. We need to be able to trust that who he says he is is who we should be following. And we just need to, in faith, respond. Not let our hearts be troubled, but believe in God and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are the way. And despite our desire to blaze our own trails and to, um, to build lists of steps and guidelines that might help us to polish us up to where we might be pretty enough for you to love us, you tell us to leave all of that alone. You tell us to uh, believe in you, to trust in you that, uh, that we might have life, that we might know the truth, to relinquish our need 
for intellectual satisfaction, to relinquish our need for um, all the details to be laid out and for you to fit within that little box that we've made. I pray that we would throw our box away, that we would see you for who you are, and that we would trust in you. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Uh, we praise you for, for who you are, and we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus so that we might have life and have it abundantly. In your son's name we pray, amen.